This podcast is a presentation of Faith Assembly of God, where our mission is to connect people with Christ and to experience life. Get more information online at faithishere.org to join us each Sunday morning at 9 or 11 a.m. Thank you for making this podcast a part of your week. Our guest speaker. And it's not many times that you have under one roof your most three favorite preachers in the world. I don't know if I'll ever have this again. My dad is visiting from Bearville, Arkansas, where he is a pastor. Been there for 30 years. On staff with him, Pastor Larry, of course, right here at Faith Assembly of God. And a dear friend that I have grown to love since 1994. He has attended the church there in Berryville, Arkansas. And um, he is an itinerant minister, evangelist. And I think I've grown to love him on, on two levels. Number one, the first level is because of his accomplishments through Jesus Christ. A seasoned minister of the gospel, been a pastor, started missions programs at churches, been very successful, one of the top 50 nations, uh, top giving in missions, giving in the assemblies of God. And he has written over 30 books to his name. And so he is deeply in the word of God, and he has just had many accomplishments in his life. But I think more than anything, I like this accomplishment, that he knows God, and he knows his word, and his word is living and active in his life. And more than anything, I know this, that he loves people and he loves pastors. And this morning when he preaches to you, his articulate nature of preaching the gospel, I think is a gift from God. But more importantly, it's to usher us into the presence and Maybe peel back layers in our life and allow the Lord to speak deeply into our lives. So I want you to open your heart this morning. I want you to open your lives. And please make welcome to this stage, Mr. Richard Exley. Good morning. If I ever doubted that God did miracles, I'll never doubt again. Because when I saw that big guy walk down into that baptismal tank and he towered, it looked like he was twice as tall as you are. I know it wasn't, but that's what it looked like from my perspective. I leaned over to Pastor Larry and I said, how is Craig ever going to do this? (laughs) And it was a miracle, not unlike the raising of the dead, (laughs) but he brought him out. Good job, Craig. Praise God. There is energy in the house this morning. The energy of the risen Christ. The energy of the Holy Spirit. The energy of God. Pastor Larry, I want to thank you for trusting me with the privilege of ministering to your congregation. God bless you. And we had an absolutely wonderful men's retreat over the weekend, and I'm delighted to share ministry with you this morning. Let's bow our heads together and invite the power of the Holy Spirit to anoint his word. Lord Jesus, I humbly pause in this moment to acknowledge that I am absolutely dependent upon you and the power of your Holy Spirit. Apart from your anointing, I have absolutely nothing of eternal value to say. So I humbly ask, 
Anoint the proclamation of your word. And anoint the worshipers, Lord, each and every one of us. Give us an ear to hear what your Holy Spirit is saying. Give us a heart to receive. Give us a will to obey. Give us a faith to respond. Accomplish your holy purpose among us this day. In the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior, we pray. Amen. May I invite your attention to Matthew's gospel, chapter number 26. The gospel according to Matthew, chapter number 26. I'm going to be reading from the New International Version. Matthew's Gospel 26, beginning with verse number 36. Then Jesus went with his disciples to a place called Gethsemane. And he said to them, sit here while I go over there and pray. He took Peter and the two sons of Zebedee along with him, and he began to be sorrowful and troubled. Then he said to them, my soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death. Stay here. Keep watch with me. Going a little further, he fell with his face to the ground and prayed, My father, if it is possible, may this cup be taken from me, yet not as I will, but as you will. Then he returned to his disciples and found them sleeping. Could you men not watch with me for one hour, he asked? Watch and pray so that you will not fall into temptation. The spirit is willing, but the body is weak. He went away a second time and prayed, My father, if it is not possible for this cup to be taken away unless I drink it, may your will be done. When he came back, he again found them sleeping because their eyes were heavy. So he left them and went away once more, and he prayed the third time, saying the same thing. Then he returned to the disciples and said to them, Are you still sleeping and resting? Look, the hour is near and the Son of Man is betrayed into the hands of sinners. Rise, let us go. Here comes my betrayer. Medical science has made some remarkable advances in recent years. Nonetheless, a diagnosis of cancer is still overwhelming. Let that diagnosis include stage three, and fear ratchets up again. Should the prognosis include a life expectancy of 12 to 18 months, and suddenly your comfortable and secure world becomes dark, and foreboding. That's what happened to my 51-year-old sister four weeks ago. She went to the doctor for a routine examination. They discovered a golf ball-sized tumor. It turned out to be a very rare form of cancer, an internal melanoma. Very rare, very deadly. The first oncologist said she had less than a 5% chance to live. In an instant, her world went from safe and secure 
the dark and foreboding. She called me from the oncologist's office, totally distraught, hardly able to talk. When I hung up the phone, I was distraught. I sat there in my office, my study, and I'm saying, dear God in heaven, Lord Jesus Christ, have mercy. Help my sister, God in heaven, give me a word. And the thought began to run in my mind, what do we do when our world is falling apart? I've been talking about my sister, but you understand if you've lived any length of time that these kind of things not only happen to others, they sometimes happen to us. No one goes through life unscathed. Sooner or later, you are blindsided by trouble, cut off at the knees, suddenly devastated. And in those moments when your world is falling apart, what do you do then? Now, when I say sooner or later trouble comes to us all, that's not a negative confession. I am declaring scripture unto you. The psalmist said it like this. Many are the afflictions of the righteous. And Jesus said it like this. In this world, you will have trouble. But thank God he didn't stop there. Many are the afflictions of the righteous, but the Lord delivers him out of them all. In this world, you will have tribulation, but be of good cheer. I have overcome the world. And I'm sitting there knowing that God can heal my sister. And I'm remembering, I'm remembering when a family in my congregation brought their six-year-old son in my office. He had a huge cancerous growth in his cheek. And just that day, the doctors said it had spread, discovered cancer in his kidneys. The little boy crawled up in my lap. And I'm holding him. They had brought him to me for prayer. And I remember I prayed simply. Lord Jesus, your name is above every name. You have authority over everything. And now I come in the authority of that name before which every power must bow. And in the authority of the name of Jesus Christ, I speak to this cancer and I command it to dry up and die. I command this cancer to be gone and never return. I had a wedding rehearsal that evening. I did the wedding rehearsal, drove home. Brenda met me at the door and she said, you're never going to believe what happened. I said, what are you talking about? She said, well, you know, you prayed for a little guy. And I said, yes, I do. She said, well, when they went home, his mother changed the bandage on the tumor and half of it fell out in her hand. On Sunday morning, I preached three services, went directly to the airport and flew to Alaska to do a minister's conference in Alaska. 
I called Brenda when I finally arrived. It's about 1 o'clock in the morning in Oklahoma time. And she said, Richard, when his mother changed the dressing after church this morning, all of the tumor fell out. Now here's the good news. That young man is now 28 years old and he's never had another trace of cancer. So I'm sitting there saying, God, do it again. Do it again. Do it again. But I've had enough, I've seen enough miracles like the one I just described to you that I know there is nothing impossible with God. Nothing too hard for God. But I preach enough funerals to never be presumptuous. Can God heal my sister? Absolutely. Will my sister be healed? Only God knows. You say, that's a negative confession. No, it's not. See, faith does not deny reality. Faith transcends reality. See, and I can say absolutely, my sister will ultimately be healed because the ultimate is healing when Jesus says, he that believeth in me, though he were dead, yet shall he live. And we know that our destiny is to that place where there is no more sickness or death, no more sorrow or crying, when he who cares more about us than we can ever imagine wipes away all tears and ultimately we live eternally with him. So I'm wrestling with that. There's a part of me and I, you know, so where are you at today, Richard? I'll tell you where I'm at. I am praying for a miracle. I pray for my sister Several times a day, just the same way I prayed for that little boy. In the name of Jesus and the authority of that name, I speak to the cancer in my sister's body. And in the authority of Jesus' name, I command it to dry up and die and be gone and never return. But hear me. I pray for a miracle, but my hope is in Jesus. If you put your hope in a miracle, you may be disappointed. But if you put your hope in God Almighty, you'll never be disappointed. Never be disappointed. So I'm there in that chair. These thoughts are running through my mind. As you can tell, they've been going through my mind for 30 days now. The way they treat my sister's cancer. She goes to MD Anderson Cancer Clinic in Houston, Texas, what many consider the number one cancer treatment hospital in the world. They inserted two tubes under her collarbone and ran that tube directly into the main artery going into her heart. And for five days, they give her a chemotherapy cocktail, they call it. Two different kinds of interferon and three kinds of chemotherapy 
dripping into her body 24 hours a day for five days. Then she's in the hospital for another one to three days before she's strong enough to go home. She completed her first regiment, was home for two weeks. She started her second regiment at 5 o'clock last night. The last thing we did before they started the drip was I was in my hotel room on the phone praying, Lord Jesus, we curse this cancer in your name. And we command it to dry up. And then we also prayed this, Lord Jesus, let this chemotherapy work and minimize the side effects. And we prayed this, above all else, Lord Jesus, lay down in that bed beside my sister. Never leave that hospital room. Wrap your arms around her and hold her. Keep her from being afraid. Comfort and strengthen her. Do it, Lord. I wake up several times every night to pray for her. She called me and she said, I was awake at 4.30 this morning. Were you awake praying? I said, yes, I was. She said, I thought so. I thought so. But my hope's in God, but I'm praying for a miracle. Amen? Now, against the backdrop of that personal story, you know, I'm saying, Jesus, where do we go from here? And God took me to this passage in Gethsemane. I'm saying, God, what do we do when our world is falling apart? And he took me to this passage in Gethsemane. He said, when your world is falling apart, do what Jesus did when his world was falling apart. And I had never thought about it like that before. I never imagined that Jesus' world was falling apart. But think about it. For a, from a human perspective, that's exactly what was happening that night in Gethsemane. Already one of the twelve, one in whom he had poured his life for three long years, he had discipled him, poured into him. And yet Judas betrayed him. And Jesus knew that soon Judas would lead a contingent of temple guards into Gethsemane to arrest him. He knew that the rest of the disciples would forsake him and flee. He knew that soon Peter would deny him and the third time with a curse. He knew that the Sanhedrin would charge him with blasphemy and condemn him to death, trumped up charges, false witnesses, He knew that they would deliver him under Pontius Pilate and that his own people would cry for his blood. He knew that Pontius Pilate would have him beaten within an inch of his life and then he'd be dragged out to a skull-shaped hill and crucified. From a human perspective, Jesus' world was falling apart. So what did Jesus do? when his world was falling apart. The first thing he did was ask for help. And he took with him Peter, James, and John. And he said to them, 
Guys, my soul is exceedingly sorrowful. Even under the point of death. And if I can paraphrase, what he's saying is, I am facing something I have never faced before. And I can't face it alone. I don't think I can do this without you. Watch and pray with me. Now, when I first read that, I'm saying, why would Jesus do that? I mean, what could Peter, James, and John do for Jesus? They couldn't drink the cup for him. And no matter how faith-filled their prayers or no matter how determined or desperate their prayers, they couldn't bend Father God to their will. They couldn't save Jesus from that hour. So why bother him, Lord? And then isn't that the way we think when, we, when our world's suddenly falling apart? We discover that our spouse of 23 years is once a divorce. We discover that our teenage daughter is pregnant and unmarried. Or that our son's doing drugs. Or suddenly our company downsizes and we're laid off. Or there's an economic crash and All our security goes up in a puff of smoke. Suddenly they're foreclosing on our home. The future's dark and foreboding. You know, we say, why should I talk to my friends about this? My friends can't save my marriage. My friends can't get me my job back. My friends can't stop the foreclosure. Why bother my friends? Well, bother your friends because that's what Jesus did. You see, Jesus understands things from a different perspective than we do. And here's what Jesus understood. Jesus knew they could not drink that cup for him. Jesus knew they could not bend God to to deliver Jesus from that hour. But here's what Jesus knew. That friends, by their presence and by their prayers, can enable us to do what we could never do alone. So when suddenly your world's falling apart, ask for help. The second thing Jesus did, he went to the Father. He asked his friends for help, but ultimately he knew only Father God could help him. And it says, he left Peter, James, and John, and he went a little farther. And he fell face down on the ground and he cried out, Father! <laughs> when I was just a boy, I grew up in Colorado. I told the guys this at the men's retreat. A little town where I grew up, there was a series of burglaries. The cops couldn't solve them. And one night just before bedtime, mom and daddy were talking about that, and they were a little uneasy, and I'm 89 years old, and I listen to mom and dad talk about burglaries, and, well, I'm a writer, so I obviously have an overactive imagination. Sure enough, I went to bed, and 
Woke up. The house is quiet. It's dark. But moonlight is shining through my window. And I can see there are two masked men in my closet. Fear grabbed me by the throat and squeezed. I don't know how I managed to do it, but finally I let out a blood-curdling scream loud enough to raise the dead. I cried, Daddy! I don't know what my father thought, but I'll never forget the image of him charging into my bedroom in his boxer shorts to save me. And you, you know, when my daddy rushed into my room, those burglars disappeared. Daddy checked all the windows, all the doors. He assured me everything was secure. And, and uh, he said it most likely it was a figment of... No, 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 Daddy. It wasn't my imagination. I saw him. And he prayed with me, and I quieted down, went back to sleep. But they came back. I woke up. Only this time they're not in my closet. No, I have thwarted their plans and they're going to take their revenge. Now they're standing right over my bed. I know they've come to cut my throat. I've never been more terrified in my life. I lay there, you know, trying to pretend I'm asleep so they won't cut my throat. But I want to holler for my daddy. I don't know. Finally, I did. I managed it somehow. And this time, my father comes bounding in there, boxer shorts and a baseball bat. Now he prays with me. Now he assures me. Now he nothing matters. No way. It won't. Finally, in frustration, my father picked up my seven-year-old brother, carried him in, who slept through it all. I don't know how. Put him in bed with my mother, and daddy crawled in bed with me. And when daddy crawled in bed with me, fear fled. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. Not because there's no evil there, but because the shepherd is there. I will fear no evil, for thou art with me. Thy rod and thy staff, they comfort me. What do you do when your world's falling apart, when it's shattered, when you don't have any idea how you'll ever get it back together again, when you don't know what the future holds? What do you do? You go to the Father. You go to the Father. I'm a father. And when my daughter or my grandchildren hurt, I hurt. Whatever touches them touches me. And this is what Jesus said. If you, being evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more do you think your heavenly Father give good things that ask Him? Fear not, little flock. It's the Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. Your Father knows what you have need of before you ask. The psalmist said it like this. As a father pitieth his children, so the Lord pitieth them that fear Him. Can I say, whatever I feel for my children, however deep my compassion, however passionate my love, it is but a dim reflection of what Father God feels for us. 
My sister said that first day when a doctor said to her, you have cancer. She had like a kick in the belly. She said the second day when the oncologist said, it's a very rare form of cancer, an internal melanoma, less than 500 cases in medical records. It's extremely fast-growing and deadly. You have less than a 5% chance of survival. You may live 12 to 18 months. Prepare to die. She said, whoa, that rocked my world. She said, you get away from a, a few days while you're waiting for the oncologist and surgeon, everybody to consult and, and come up and you distance yourself from it and, and somehow you can kind of push it away. She said, when it come time, Go to MD Anderson Hospital. And suddenly you're face to face with thousands of cancer pages, patients of all ages and all stages of chemotherapy and radiation. You see the aged and you see the children. Many of the women wearing bandanas because all their hair is gone. Skeletal features, young families, a husband trying to maintain a stiff upper lip while he pushes his wife and their little girl runs along beside them. She said, that's when it become real for me. She said, I've never felt such fear, such dread in my life. But she said, I don't go anywhere without the word. She said... I put the word up here and I wrap my arms around that. She said, I ran to the Father. And I said, Father God, when I was a little girl, my asthma was so bad I couldn't breathe. And my daddy would come and sit beside me on my bed and rub my back. Even though I couldn't breathe any better. I wasn't afraid anymore. She said, Father God, come be my daddy. Father God, come hold me. Father God, come rub my back. And she said, I look around me and fear would rise up. But I look up. And yea, though I was walking through the valley of the shadow of death, I would fear no evil. For Father God was with me. Hear me. Hear me. Ask for help and then run to the Father. Oh, and the third thing Jesus did. I am so sorry. Why don't you give me a different mic and I'll quit doing that. Thank you, Pastor. I just like both my hands free, but I can manage with this. <laughs> Praise God. And uh, the third thing Jesus did was he surrendered his situation to the Lord. Now, that's huge, folks. That's huge. Now, 
You say, that's not easy to do. No, it wasn't easy to do. In fact, Jesus sweat blood trying to do it. Do you know why Jesus was sweating blood in Gethsemane? Because his will was in conflict with the Father's will. Father, if it is possible, let this cup pass from me. Take this thing away. Do a miracle. I don't want to face this. I don't want to go through with it. You're God. All things are possible with you. Come up with another plan, another way. I can't drink this cup. Take it away. Isn't that what we do when our world starts falling apart? God, work a miracle. God, change my circumstances. God, heal my sister. God, work a miracle. Fine, pray for a miracle, but hear me. Faith is not telling God what to do. Faith is submitting to the sovereignty and the wisdom of God, even if we don't know what the outcome's going to be. Can I also say, many times when you're in the midst of a conflict, the thing that's making you sweat blood is not that your world's falling apart, but that you and God are at odds over what God ought to do. Now, please, I want to be very careful here because I know that James says you have not because you ask not. And so there is a place for us to pray very specific prayers. But please hear me. They are not demanding prayers. We are not telling God to fulfill his word. We're not quoting it back to him and say, remember you said this, now do it. That's not faith. That's a spoiled child. Faith stands on the word, but submits to the Father. Am I communicating with you? Submits to the Father. And Jesus couldn't do it the first time. You probably can't do it the first time. That's not an easy thing to do. Isn't it amazing? We say, wow, it's hard to trust God. Well, that's about the dumbest thing I've ever said, but I've said it a lot. You know what I really mean? Here's what I'm really saying. Wow, it's hard to trust God to do what I want him to do. Right? I know I can trust God. I'm just not convinced I can trust him to do what I want him to do. And as long as Jesus was asking God to change the plan, Jesus and the Father were at odds. That's why he sweat blood. And please, understand, Jesus wasn't afraid of physical suffering and death. He could bear that because the Father would be with him. What Jesus was asking him to do, take this cup away. What is that cup? It's a cup of iniquity. Everything that Jesus hated was in that cup. And Jesus knew if he drinks that cup... He's going to suffer the judgment of God, and the ultimate judgment of God is separation from God, and that's what Jesus couldn't bear. And he knows if I take this cup, in the darkness, God's going to forsake me. And he's going to cry, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? That's what he couldn't bear. And he said, Father, take it away. I can bear everything but this. Take that away. 
but there was no other way. And no matter how much faith Jesus prayed with, and no matter how much desperation he prayed with, he couldn't bend Father to his will. And he sweat blood. We don't know what might have happened if the Father hadn't sent an angel to strengthen him. Three times. Three times Jesus had to pray. Find out the third time. He said, Father, you can't take this cup away unless I drink it. Your will. Your will. Your will be done. And he took the cup and he drank. And hear me. As soon as Jesus surrendered to the will of God, as soon as he drank the cup, he was totally at peace. His circumstances hadn't changed. Through the shadowy darkness, they could see the flickering of the torches of the temple guards as Judas led them to arrest him. He knew within the next 12 hours he was going to suffer unspeakable ways. Circumstances didn't change, but he had incredible peace. Could it be that the thing that's causing us so much agitation isn't the circumstances? It isn't our world falling apart, but it's because we're at odds with God and we won't trust God with our situation, that we're trying to bend him to our will, trying to tell him how to save us, trying to tell him how to fix us, instead of saying, Father God, I trust you. Father God, we pray, we pray for a miracle, but our hope's in God. Can you see that balance? We pray for a miracle. We say, Father God, if possible, heal my sister. But if you in your infinite wisdom know things that I don't know, see things that I don't see, I trust you. See, we don't want to say that because... Well, somebody told us that means we don't have faith. <laughs> I'm saying it means I don't have faith. No, it means I got ultimate faith. Ultimate faith means I don't have to tell God how to do it. Ultimate faith means even though I can't figure it out, I trust God. That's ultimate faith. When I was a pastor, I had a young couple in our church, and they were expecting a first child. And they they were of the... Word of faith, persuasion, and during those years, in the early 80s, the word of faith was huge in Tulsa, Oklahoma, and they taught people if you confess the word, if you never say a negative thing, if you pray the right prayers and you never let a negative thought enter your mind, everything in your life will be perfect. Now, there's an element of truth in that, but it's just a tiny element. <laughs> well, they did all of that, and when their baby was, you know, their baby was born, the baby was extremely cranky, extremely colicky, cried all the time. I'll never forget, they came into my office and they said, Pastor, we did everything that we were taught to do. I hadn't taught them that. We did everything we were taught to do. We should have had a perfect baby, and our baby cries all the time. He said to me, why didn't it work? And I said, You know, there were some things I could have told them, but they weren't ready to hear them. And if you speak before they're ready to hear, 
you alienate people. So just let them think you're dumb. A little later, two or three months later, the doctors discovered that that baby had a hernia. Very painful hernia, and that's probably why the baby's crying all the time. But see, that still didn't answer their situation because their baby shouldn't have had a hernia. But the doctor scheduled surgery, and so I remember early one morning, about 6 o'clock, I pull up at the hospital, and I can hear that baby crying a long time before I find where those parents are. Her, her desperate cries echoing down the empty hospital corridors. I finally come to the operating waiting room, and the mother's pacing back and forth, holding that baby up here like this. And, and I walk in, and I say to her, I said, what's the problem? She said, the baby's hungry. I said, well, feed her. She said, we can't. She's going under anesthetic. The doctor said we couldn't feed her after 10 o'clock last night, and she's really hungry. Oh, I said, my goodness sake, explain that to her. I said, you carry that baby right there on your breast. You have been breastfeeding her. She knows that you have the power to feed her if you cared. Well, she looked at me like I was losing my mind. And she said to me rather patiently like a parent would to a uh, child, you can't explain things like that to a three-month-old baby. And then suddenly she said, you're not talking about me and my baby, are you? And I said, no, ma'am, I'm not. God says, my ways are not your ways. And my thoughts are not your thoughts. And as high as the heavens are above the earth, so high are my thoughts above your thoughts. He says, in this world, you see through a glass darkly. In this world, you know in part. And I said, see, we're finite creatures with a minuscule intellect. And he's an infinite God. And it'd be easier for you to explain why you can't feed your three-month-old baby than it would for an infinite God to explain to a finite creature the mysteries that are beyond us. And then there's one other mystery. I'm hurrying. Romans 8. Romans 8, 28. Therefore we know that in all things God works for the good of them who loved him and who were called according to his purpose. Now King James Version says, but we know that all things work. Things don't work. God works. Okay? That's why I like the New International Version in this instance. New International Version says, For we know that in all things God works for our good. You've got to take that verse by faith. Because I'm trying to figure out how in the world anything good's going to come out of my sister's cancer if God doesn't heal her. 
I mean, she's a grandmother for the first time. She has a six-week-old granddaughter and a six-month-old granddaughter. Those grandbabies need her. <laughs> you know, from my limited perspective, it makes no sense. What good can come out? If my sister dies, what good can come out of this? I'm thinking of the pastor whose only son committed suicide. It nearly killed that pastor. In the weeks and months after his son's suicide, grief blinded him. Couldn't sleep. Night after night, he said he found himself just walking the wharf, the waterfront. One night while he was walking the wharf and the waterfront, the Holy Spirit began to speak to him. He looked over at one of those huge ocean-going vessels. The Holy Spirit said to him, he said, if you take a plate out of the hull of that ocean-going vessel, one of those huge steel plates out of the hull of that ocean-going vessel, and you throw it in the ocean, will it float? And he said, absolutely not. Steel doesn't float. He said, if you take that big steel rudder at the back of that boat, you throw it in the ocean, would it float? No, God, steel doesn't float. Then he said, God said to him, but if you allow the ship workers to complete their design, when they've riveted the last rivet, and they launch that huge steel vessel. They'll even fill it with concrete in the bottom to give it balance. Balance. Concrete doesn't float. Steel doesn't float. But when you launch that ship, that steel ship, it's almost unsinkable. Say, when I take my son's suicide, throw it into the ocean of Romans 8.28, it doesn't float. It sinks. But I now believe, though this verse is beyond me, though I can't imagine how God could do it, I can't understand it, can't explain it, but I now believe that when the eternal shipbuilder has riveted the last rivet, then even my son's suicide will work for eternal good. Am I communicating with you? See, that's where Jesus was. See, sometimes we don't let Jesus' struggles be real because we say he couldn't struggle with the thing we struggle with because he's divine. But Hebrews 2 said he was made like unto his brethren in every way. So he could strengthen us in the hour of our temptation, which literally means that when Jesus became a man, he was not God in human disguise. When he became a man, he didn't lay down the essence of his divine nature, but he did lay down every advantage of it. And so he lived life limited to the very things that we're limited to. I mean, how else could Luke say that, that the 12-year-old Jesus grew in wisdom and knowledge and stature and favor with God and man? If he wasn't a human being, if he all knew everything, how could he grow in wisdom? Am I communicating with you? You say, but Jesus said, I lay by my life and I take it up again. And Jesus talked about his death and his resurrection. Yeah, he did. But what he knew about his death and resurrection, he knew the same way you and I knew it, by studying the scripture and listening to the Holy Ghost. But when he began to look at it, it was a faith reality, not a historical reality. Am I communicating? 
And so when he took the cup, he took that cup by faith. Not my will, but your will be done. And this is it, and I'll close this one quick. And the last thing Jesus did, he kept on trusting even when nothing changed. They still crucified him, and it got dark, and God forsook him, and he cried, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? And there was no answer. And in the darkness, death and hell drew near. Evil spirits leered at him and came to take his soul. And with his dying breath, Jesus shouted out his faith. Father! Still going to call him Father? God's gone. God hadn't answered him, but Jesus is still hanging on. And see, when you get there, that's how it feels, doesn't it? I feel like God is gone. God's forsaken you. He's abandoned you. He's left you. Don't give up. Do what Jesus did. Into the teeth of the darkness, into the teeth of the storm. Scream out your faith. Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. I still believe. I still trust you. I still believe. Hallelujah. I'm going to give an invitation in just a moment. I normally don't do things this way, but I want to help you. I've been speaking help into people's life for about as long as I've lived. And I wrote a book entitled Strength for the Storm, Finding God in Every Crisis. you got a crisis, and if you don't have one, you will. See, I've lived long enough to know I'm either right in the middle of a storm, or I'm just coming out of a storm, or I'm just getting ready to go into one. Strength for the storm, then encounters with Christ, miracle stories. From the Bible, from real life. The story about the little boy I told you about, six-year-old boy, it's in here. And a whole host of other stories so that you can pray for a miracle, but you can put your hope in God. Am I communicating? I put together a four-book package, these two and two other books, that I think can be tremendously helpful, strengthen you, sustain you, protect you while you go through your storm. I've never done this before. I've never did a promo in the middle of a commercial. I mean, middle of a sermon. It feels awkward to me. But why are you doing it? Because some of you are going to face some storms, or you may be right in the middle of a storm. And I want to be used of God to help you in that storm. Now, first step. Run to the Father. Wow, while we were worshiping this morning, I saw some people that already ran to the Father. You saw them, Pastor. You saw them kneeling at this altar and calling to Almighty God because they knew their only help was the Father. But don't just run to Him and try to tell Him what to do to save you. Run to him, and like Jesus, say, Father, 
If it's not possible for this cup to be taken away unless I drink it, your will be done. Your will be done. And you quit fighting God. You quit telling him how to fix your situation. And you just give him your fears. You give him your hurts. You give him your disappointment. You give him your grief. And you just lift it up and say, Father, I don't know how you can make anything good out of this. But I'm going to surrender it to you. And I'm going to keep on trusting you. Because you are my Lord. And you are my God. Your circumstances may not change, but you will. You know, sometimes Jesus speaks to the storm, said, peace, be still, and the storm stops. And sometimes he speaks to the disciples and says, peace, be still, and the fears stop. Amen? So in just a moment, I'm going to ask you to stand. After I ask you to stand, I'm going to pray. And then when I finish praying, I'm going to say, if you're here, this morning, and you're facing any kind of a storm in your life, any kind of a tragedy in your life, any kind of a loss, you're desperate. I'm going to say, I want you to come to the Father. Say, well, I didn't have to walk down front doing. No, you don't. But see, something happens when we take a physical step. I mean, that's faith in action. Something happens when we step out. And I'm going to, you could stand there, but something happens when you step out. And I'm going to ask you to come. You get to the front, you want to kneel at the altar, you can kneel. If you want to stand, you can stand. And I just want you to just imagine whatever your situation is in your hands. And I want you to surrender to Jesus. Give it to the Father. Open your life. Peace and grace will come. Stand with me. Father God, you know how many times I've run to you in the last 30 days. Lifting my sister to you. Then just giving the situation to you. Father, I pray for a miracle of healing. But my hope is in you. I trust you, Father. I trust you with my sister's life. I trust you with my sister's family. I trust you, Lord. Trust you. I surrender to you. I give it to you, Lord. Give her peace. Give her husband peace. Give her children peace. Give me peace. Now, Father, I pray for all those in this congregation who in one form or another in the same place I am, the last 30 days, our world has been rocked. We want to come to the Father. We want to surrender our situation to you. Meet us here, Lord. Meet us here. Speak peace and hope in Jesus' name. This podcast has been a presentation of Faith Assembly, where our mission is to connect people with Christ and to experience life. Thank you for listening this week.